When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's the Thursday pod. Doug Lee, Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means from Cleveland.com. We're going heavy on the rival. And that's probably all we're going to do unless we take care of this in a short amount of time. But it's really interesting what happened at Michigan this offseason. And I think there's enough here for you Buckeye Talk listeners to dig in for a whole pod on this. Because Jim Harbaugh stayed. They have changed five of their 10 assistant coaches this offseason. And who left and who arrived are very different. And it's really interesting what Jim Harbaugh is doing here. I said something about this to our texters on Tuesday. And the way I framed it on Tuesday, I think I have changed my mind on what I think of what is happening at Michigan right now. So we will get into that because this is one of those situations where Ethan and Steven, we had done a podcast, whatever it was, two months ago, the idea of, is, is this it for Jim Harbaugh? Which is always of great interest to Buckeye Talk listeners. And it felt very much like it might be it. But as ha- often happened, when you have a coach who is on the edge of it being over, if he stays, often it's like, okay, well, you can stay, but you have to change everything about what you're doing whether that is self-reflective or whether that is forced on you by your boss, maybe Word Manual says, hey, okay, you can stay, but this is not good enough. And it's not just changing philosophy. Philosophy, you got to change some people. But first, the contract. Nathan, this dude was making $8 million a year. Now he's making $4 million a year. He was one of the five highest paid coaches in the country I think right now he's not one of the 10 highest paid coaches in the Big Ten. What are we to make of the fact that Jim Harbaugh got a new contract, but it basically basically cut his pay in half? Well, it's unprecedented. I mean, there's a lot, this has been kind of an unprecedented offseason at Michigan in some ways. And I, don't, I can't think of another contract like that in recent years in all of sports. I mean, not just once in a while you'll see it, I guess, with a player, but it's a, a player's tenure is very different, right? Because they're aging into a, if you're talking about pro sports, you're aging into windows of less production, typically. Free agency is weird, but that's typically how it happens. So maybe a guy who's been somewhere a long time, now he's 36 and he still wants to stay with that team. So you sign an extension, but it's not for as much as you were making before, that kind of thing. But with coaches, you, you don't really ever see that. And now there's... It, there's some nuance here because there are incentives and things that can push him back towards, but really it it was about, it's not even so much how much he's owed on a year to year basis. It was, I think the buyout, right? The buyout also got very significantly reduced 
Michigan can get out of this contract much easier in a year than you normally can when you're signing a guy to a four, five, six-year contract. That's part of it, and that's, that's a very good point that you make, Nathan, because they kept him here, but it is not the kind of contract that guarantees anybody's going to be sticking around for a long time. It, it kind of feels like a stopgap a little bit. And so one of the questions we got in the rapid fire the other day that I held off on because I wanted to save it for this was this, Stephen, from the 440. Did COVID-19 save Jim Harbaugh's job at Michigan? That we had talked about, okay, he was coming up on the end of a deal, so you had to do something. And then you had this weird year. Stephen, the way they sort of kept him around, does it feel like if they had had a normal season and an unsuccessful season, as opposed to a weird unsuccessful season, would he have been gone? I think COVID saved the job, and I think this contract is proof of that. I, I think he, he, he's able to use the excuse of, look what we were living through. I mean, you know, this was hard for anybody. And then you can go look at what Penn State. Penn State's a team that's clear, kind of on our – we're on the same playing field as far as how we compete in this conference and look at what, how they struggled this year as well. And so I think COVID, along with another team of their caliber, having those same struggles – he was able to go, look, like, I'll turn this around and we'll be right back to where we were in 2019 once things get back to normal and we have a spring. And I've got my guy coming in as a quarterback now. Look, look, at, look at our future, which is what Texas didn't have, obviously. But look at our future. Look what we can plan for in the future. Now, now this seems like a – I know it's a more than a one-year contract, but it, it does sort of seem like – Nathan brought up players. You also see players a lot of times maybe sign these one-on-one contracts where the one year is guaranteed and they have an option after that. I am going to be interested to see if, if it's anything close to this, even if they're a 500 team next year, if this is a similar situation where this year is guaranteed, but you need to show us something this year. We're going to move on elsewhere. So the buyout after year one is $4 million, and then it drops by a million every year, and by the end it's nothing. But it gets easier and easier and easier to get rid of the guy. Michigan has enough money, even right now. They can fire him anytime they want at right now. This is not the kind of prohibitive contract where like the buyout is the only thing that saves you. And I think maybe, Nathan, we had talked about this. I can't remember exactly. But the idea that Texas fired Tom Herman and Michigan kept Jim Harbaugh it's two big-time programs that are sort of stuck on the same plateau. That they're not awful, but they are quite a bit below their rival who is dominating their conference. What Oklahoma is to Texas is what Ohio State is to Michigan. Who feels more right here? Texas? Because, listen, I mean, like, if you would have said Tom Herman stayed at Texas, Michigan fired Jim Harbaugh and, and hired Steve Sarkeesian, the reverse of what actually happened, that doesn't sound crazy to me right Nathan that seems like could have that would have been in the realm of possibilities yeah absolutely and so I think part of it might depend on just what the level of unrest is among your boosters among your fans or whatever I think it it clearly had reached that situation with Tom Herman Um, I don't know how that is relative to Harbaugh it seems like there is some of that at Michigan but maybe not to the vocal extent that it is at Texas Um, but I think the other half of that is the important thing if you're going to get rid of a dude you kind of need to know, I think, if, if, if a dude of this caliber, then I think you got to know who you're going to go get instead. It can't just be, well, I mean, sometimes you see that. Your team is just so bad, you have to fire the coach, and now you're opening up a national search. It really seems more like in the case of Texas. Now, obviously, they, they shot very high at the beginning. I don't know if Michigan was going to shoot like that again. Were they going to go after that, that Urban Meyer, 
Steve Sarkeesian even level of guy this time around. I think also Texas should be what Ohio State is in the Big Ten. Michigan shouldn't necessarily be that. They should be the Oklahoma to, to Ohio State's Texas. They should be the second best team. And so the expectations are a little different. I think that's a good point. I do think probably you're right that as much as Oklahoma in recent times has been the Ohio State, Texas by all rights should be that. Um, but I, I do think I do think it feels here's my question. I'm stumbling over myself here. You guys understand how this works. Are we sure that Jim that we have seen the best of Jim Harbaugh at Michigan? Like, are we sure? that there isn't a chance that he actually gets this right. Because again, and I don't want to have this part of the discussion too much, but in a lot of ways, basically the way other than not beating Ohio state and not beating any top 10 team, he's been pretty good. 10 and three, 10 and three, eight and five, 10 and three, nine and four, two and four. So I do think the idea of, listen, the guy had one losing season and you whack him, right? And it's a weird losing season. There's part of it, like, does it feel like the right thing to do? But Nathan, does it make sense to you that if Michigan thought, not only is it weird, but like, let's make sure that this guy can't be better because that's what we're going to get to with the assistant coaches. It's such a revamp. It is six years in now. Is there reason to think that way? Or is it like, what else do you need to see? It's not, I mean, the guy's had a full a full roster rebuild and then some he is what he is or can he be better? Yeah. I, I, again, I think it comes back to expectations. I think Steven puts it pretty well. I mean, does Michigan expect to be able to compete with Ohio state, not just winning that game on the 12th week of the regular season with more regularity than they're winning it now, but also, but, but just competing in general, do you expect to also be that team on a national stage the way Ohio state is? I think Ohio state has expectations to be there and follows up on them. I just don't know that Michigan thinks of itself in the same way. So once you, once you change that perspective, I think that affects how you look at whether you're keeping him or not. And I, I think I see what you're saying. I mean, he has a track record. He has even a track record at Michigan of being, a better than average head coach. Now it just depends on how, how, how is that enough? And I think that Michigan is saying that it, I think they're kind of saying it is enough, right? I mean, I think that there's, there's no reason to think that you've brought him back and that's going to lead you to a national championship. I think they're saying kind of to me, like if you stay at that nine, 10 win level, that's essentially good enough. Okay. But let me, okay. I don't want to go too far down that road because that's sort of a program philosophy thing, which we have covered, I think, in, in pretty good discussions on this podcast. So let me ask, I'll ask it this way. I'll set the framework. This is what Michigan wants to be. And then the question is, can Jim Harbaugh do it? Let's make it that. Okay. You're Michigan in, the, in a 10-year period, and I'll just do 10 years because it's easier math for a podcast host. In a 10-year period – you feel like you should be competitive on the field with Ohio State almost every year, that you shouldn't be like a 20-point underdog going into that game, okay? You think you should beat Ohio State, let's say, three or four times out of 10. You're not expecting it to be even. But you should be competitive and win at least 30% of the time. You then think that you should be in the national title mix and maybe, like, make the playoff. like. Once every five years, two times out of 10, that like at your peak, hey, this is the year where our really good players are old. A couple guys didn't go to the draft. 
Ohio State's down a little bit. We are now like the best team in the Big Ten. We're not expecting it all the time. We know it's really hard. We know the playoff is dominated by a few teams. But let's expect to be in the, a playoff team once every five years. Not Ohio State, but in that next cut, right? The, set, the next cut of teams where we have placed Penn State in the past, where we do not think Michigan is right now, okay? If that's what it is, can Jim Harbaugh do that? If that's what it is, Stephen, does it make sense to retain Jim Harbaugh because you think, yeah, you know what? He's 57. If he stays for another 10 years, yeah, we can do that. We haven't done it so far, but this guy can. I think they can be that with Jim Harbaugh because they've had some times when the Ohio State – I don't know if he can beat Ohio State three times every de- in a decade because, I mean, Ohio State's just entered a different stratosphere. But I do think that that game can be competitive 60% of the time. Maybe even seven of the ten games are competitive, and then there's three of them where everything's just clicking for Ohio State and they end up blowing them out. But I do think a version of – I mean, we've seen some double overtime games in the past, day, past five years since Jim Harbaugh has been here. So I think that that's out there. I think going and getting a five-star quarterback, we'll see. This is going to be year two of Jim Harbaugh having a quarterback that he recruited to Michigan and didn't have to go get it as a transfer from somewhere else. So that he's a five-star. So I think that gives you a little bit of optimism that it's, that it's possible. Um, I think that – to be Auburn, can he be Auburn with a higher floor? I think that world is out there. What do you think, Nathan? Harbaugh can do that? If you're asking, is there any reason why Michigan can't be Georgia in a way in terms of success? So they're probably their recruiting peaks won't be as high, but they're, they can with more regularity. Man, eh, that's probably not even a good way to say that. But I mean, that, but that's essentially what we're talking about here, right here, right? Like Georgia's always kind of blocked by some other behemoth in the SEC, it seems like. But they sneak in, they've snuck into the playoffs. They got into the national championship game. They're like generally considered a top 10 program. Like, I, I think Michigan can be that, and I think that they can do that. With Harbaugh. With Harbaugh. Yeah. I think they can, yes. That it makes sense to strive for that, to believe right now, you know what, that's what we want to be, to be Notre Dame, frankly. Because, that, like, Notre Dame has made right. the playoff twice, and both yeah. times they made it, it was kind of like, ah, oh, you don't really belong here. But you made it. And listen, nobody can, can play with Alabama. So be Michigan. I mean, Notre Dame gets made fun of when Notre Dame gets in the playoff, and Michigan is like, oh, man, we'd kill to be Notre Dame. Right? I mean, honestly. Because how far away from that are they, really? I think that's the other way to look at this. Like, when you're averaging 9, 10 wins a year, it's not a huge leap. It's just not. To get in there once in 10 years, it's not a massive leap. So one thing is Notre Dame's not blocked by Ohio State. Right. But the other thing is, Michigan, the win that Notre Dame has over Clemson, even though Trevor Lawrence didn't play, Michigan doesn't have a win like that in Harbaugh's no. career. They That's can't point true, yeah. to say, like, like they, they've never gotten over the hump. You're right. They're close. They're at the bottom of that hill. They never get over it. But that's essentially what we're talking about in some ways. It's like, you know, Ohio State is, it's, 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 <laughs> it's like a junior version of what Ohio State's doing almost in some ways. Like, they're the block. They can't get past Ohio State into that other tier. Now, Ohio State's at this tier, but then there's a block above them that they need to break through again. It, it's a, it's a but, different but, – But Ohio State has broken through. Ohio State beat Bama. Ohio State won a national right. title. Ohio State mm-hmm. beat Clemson this time. Like, the times of, like, listen, a lot of times you're blocked. A lot of times you don't get over the, uh, up the hill. But sometimes you do. Like, Harbaugh's never gotten up the hill yet. And at some point, you're standing at the bottom of the same hill. 
It's like American Ninja Warrior. I watch that show and I think, I can't believe I'm the same species as those people. How do they have the upper arm strength on American Ninja Warrior? How do you develop upper arm strength? I don't understand it. I couldn't hold a rope and support my own body weight for half a second. So you get to the bottom of that thing and you have to run up the ramp and grab the top, right? And then pull yourself up. So you run up the ramp and you barely miss it and you go back down. You run up the ramp and oh, and after a while, you don't start getting closer to grabbing it. Yeah. You get further away from grabbing it. You're still at the bottom of the same ramp. I see what you're saying. And you're trying, but at some point it's like, Maybe it's someone else's turn to try to run up the ramp because if you never make it, what is to lead us to believe that at some point you are going to make it when the first six times, Harbaugh, that you tried to grab it, you didn't, right, Stephen? Like that, that to me is the analogy. And at some point you have to say you blow the whistle and your turn is over. And we keep talking about it from Ohio. I mean, we cover Ohio State, so we're going to talk about it from Ohio State's perspective. We keep talking about they're blocked by Ohio State, but I think more of the problem might be Penn State because they're not going to be Ohio State. But in a world, like, they should be the second best team in the Big Ten, but they haven't beaten Penn State since 2018. So, 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 but, so we all know it. I want to talk about Jim Harbaugh, but so is that a reason to say you would let, get, let Harbaugh, this was the good move, let Harbaugh keep going, don't blow the whistle on his turn yet. Bottom line? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what he did, they made him put on new shoes, right? This is, I'm leaning in. This is one of my five best analogies in Buckeye talk history. I love analogies. I've talked to my sister about this. My sister worked in politics for a long time. She doesn't anymore. But I think when you have like a good politician, it's like they're trying to explain a plan, but they they tell you how like, well, you're not just going to get like, this isn't how it's going to affect you, but you're going to be able to buy like one more pizza a week. I always think like if you can relate things to people. So I hope American Ninja Warrior, I don't know that there's a lot of American... By the way, if you are listening to this and you train for American Ninja Warrior type competitions, I know Michelle Warnke, I think is her last name, is America as an American Ninja Warrior contestant who's in the Columbus area. If you like train at a gym and have ever done it, please text us if you're a tech subscriber or tweet at us if you're not, and we will have people come on to talk about what it's like to try to do American Ninja Warrior stuff because I am fascinated by it because I am so noodly and weak but you're at the point where harbaugh is back on the course and they keep having different you know sometimes they'll say oh this person tried the course last year they're back again and you wear different shoes you trained a little bit differently but you still are giving this guy the shot but you said you can't do it the exact same way so i guess in the end i think a lot i think if you we went back didn't we all sort of say we would have fired him yes or no it's nathan i think nathan when we were doing this a couple months ago, we all kind of thought it might be time to end it. Honestly, I think that's maybe where we were. Yeah. Okay. So now we're kind of, but we sort of get, this is like a middle ground. It's a weird year. Give them another shot. You can get out of it real easily if it, if it doesn't work, but we're kind of all okay with what Michigan wound up doing. Is that kind of where we are? I, 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 yeah, I don't know that they had a great option here. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough spot for a lot of different reasons. Pandemic first and foremost, but a lot of other things. And also, by the way, it's a little weird to me that Harbaugh sort of agreed to do it, but also I don't know that he had a lot of great options. I mean, exactly. if he thought he could have gotten an NFL job, I think he would have taken it. I think that's what was holding it up for the longest time. I don't have like inside intel, but that's kind of the scuttlebutt that's out there. It's like you kept hearing his name get floated in for you know various NFL contention, but it never really went anywhere. I don't know that he ever – we ever – was floated that he interviewed somewhere. 
So I don't know how far into NFL interest he really got. And if that's, that's, I think always kind of been that thing that's been hanging out there. It's like, would he go back to the NFL? And if there's, there were actually a lot of NFL openings here in the last couple of weeks since the end of the season. And if there was no interest in the NFL for him, then I don't, where do you go? Nowhere, nowhere else that you can go in college football is going to pay you better than Michigan probably after these last couple of years. So where, where are you going to go? I think it's right. I don't know that he had a lot of leverage in this situation. That's almost the key there. I mean, we, we have meetings all the time. It's like, if you're not going to do this, then what's also, what are you going to do then? And if that, that seemed to be the case on both sides, is if you're not going to stay together and continue this partnership, then it didn't seem like Michigan had any options of where they wanted to go next either. And so the pandemic pro- provided a perfect excuse to do this. It is interesting. as some I, I know some people noted it. We didn't note it specifically this way, but it was like another Urban Meyer win over Jim Harbaugh. It's like Harbaugh is the guy that people always talked about for going back to the NFL. And it's like, oh, Urban got the NFL gig. Urban got the gig where he has the number one draft pick and all the salary cap space. So um, another tough one for Jim Harbaugh. So this is what he did. He totally revamped his coaching staff. That's what we really want to get into. We will do that next. I have some comparisons. I think he hired his Brian Hartline. I think he might've hired his Kerry Combs. I think he might've hired his Jeff Halfley. I think my initial impression of his hires, it's a little different what I think now, and I think it is potentially very good for Michigan. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back. Five new assistant coaches at Michigan, and here are the ages of the five new guys. 34, 39, 33, 36, 33. Here are the ages of the five guys they replaced. 65, 58, 57, 54, and 40. Jim Harbaugh hired five guys in their 30s. His coaching staff right now is nine assistants in their 30s and one in his 40s. Ohio State staff is one guy in his 20s, Corey Dennis, three guys in their 30s, Al Washington, Matt Barnes, Brian Hartline, four guys in their 50s. They have no guys in their 40s right now, which is kind of a weird little blip, but four guys in their 50s, Kevin Wilson, Kerry Combs, um, Greg Studrawa, and Tony Alford, and one guy in his 60s, Larry Johnson, and a coach to be named. Nathan. That is a sea change. And I'm not, I don't want to totally equate energy and recruiting prowess with age. We are not ageist here. I keep staring at my receding hairline in the, the Zoom. So, like, you can't, Carrie Combs is getting up there and has great energy and is a great recruiter. So, it is not only about age, but I think we would say maybe there's some connection there. But this, Nathan, this is stark. What do you think of how stark it is of how much younger this Michigan State, this Michigan staff got this offseason? Yeah, and Larry Johnson, too, being the oldest guy on the staff who's, like, considered the closer and, like, one of the, the best pound-for-pound recruiters on the staff. So, But I do think it's an impact. It's more about just, I think, maybe relating to players top to bottom as opposed to just the recruiting thing. But it, it, it's obviously intentional, right? Like, it, it, it's too stark to, to oh. have not been completely intentional to have turned it over this way. 
Um, and I think it's also, and we'll get into this more, but like the actual, the particular individuals that they got in some cases, the, the ones with Michigan ties, um, the ones who have, who have a, a, a already have a reputation in the state for their, for, for, for as a coach, um, who are being college coaches for the first time, that sort of thing. I mean, there's, it seemed like they did some very coordinated, it wasn't just age, like it was age, but it was also some, some coordinated things that they were trying to plug into this staff. So, Stephen, obviously there's the recruiting angle to this. And just, just to recap, we've recapped it so many times on this podcast. We'll go back to 2017, just the last five recruiting classes. Ohio State was second, Michigan was fifth. 2018, Ohio State second, Michigan 22nd. 2019, a weird transition year for Ohio State. Michigan actually a higher-ranked class. Eight for Michigan, 14 for OSU. 2020, fifth for Ohio State, 14th for Michigan. 2021, second for Ohio State, 11th for Michigan. Stephen, it's not like they're awful. They're not awful, but it does. I would say they maybe needed a little shot in the arm here. Do you think this could pay instantaneous dividends on the recruiting trail for Michigan with this change in the coaching staff? Yes. I, I, I know we just brought up Larry Johnson and Kerry Collins, but those two also, their names hold a little bit of weight because of what they've done in their tenures as coaches and getting guys to the NFL. I think, I mean, you see it with Michigan. They just put out uh, – in, in announcing that their early enrolls – enrollee guys got here, Ohio State just had these kids take a, a selfie with their parents saying, hey, we're moving in today. Michigan put those guys in their uniform, basically made a trailer video of those guys getting here and made it a cool thing that you see in recruiting now. Social media is an aspect of that, and I think you can put that into the, into the assistant coaches as well when you've got young guys who maybe can relate it a little bit more. But also I think – not only just in recruiting, I think whatever Josh Gaddis wants to do offensively, it's maybe easier to sell it to somebody who's younger, not to be ageist, but it just seemed a little, it seemed like a more of a struggle to get whatever Josh Gaddis wanted to do with his offense to get that going last year. And I don't know if that's going to be an issue now with someone who's maybe a little bit more open to some changes there. All right. I think you're underselling it. Like, I, I mean, the social media thing, I, I don't know. The assistant coaches don't have anything to do with the social media. Jim Harbaugh had like a, an award show with like Tom Brady and Prince and, and, and not really Prince, but like, I mean, th- he did that like four, four years ago with a bunch of old people on staff. Yeah. But he had like rappers come too. And that didn't yeah. really help. No, anything, so, so. But that's, that's all, that's fake. This is real. These are the people. This is not the show. This is your changing fundamentally who you are as a program to do this. And I'll also say this, the five guys, the five assistants who left five white guys, the new assistants, three black assistants, two white assistants. Michigan now has six black assistants, one Samoan assistant and three white assistants. Ohio state that helps has, more honestly than the age. Ohio state yeah. has three black assistants and always has three black assistants. And it doesn't mean Ohio state has to hire a black assistant for Greg Madison. Ryan Day, for a million different reasons, should be very heavily investigating every potential black assistant who he might want to hire for Greg Madison. Ohio State is a little behind on that. It's not only about race, but your team is whatever percent black players. And the idea that your staff should have a decent correlation to your roster is not too much to ask or think about. But when you are trying to go out and recruit, when you are trying to develop a program, Stephen, this is an area. We know it comes up. We know It's real. It's real-life stuff. Jim Harbaugh went from a bunch of old white guys to some younger guys and a much 
more diverse assistant coaching staff. And you think that is where it might have a bigger impact. The African-American element of it, yes, because those, they just relate better to the kids you're trying to recruit, especially the Ron Bellamy one. That guy is a legend in the state of Michigan with high school. I'm Donovan Edwards. He coached him in high school. And there's like a video floating around of Ron Bellamy talking about Donovan Edwards' career at West Bloomingfield and calling him the best high school football player in the state of Michigan. Yada, yada, yada. That, I, the young thing is what it is. That's what it is. Larry Johnson is old and he's an African-American. Him being an African-American and being able to relate to some of these, a guy like Chase Young from that area, being able to relate to what Tyreek Smith and what that family alone stands for, to be able to relate to a guy like uh, Zach Harrison, that matters. Having a, a black, being coached by, being a black play, player, having a black coach matters. As much as some people want to dismiss that, that matters. Because there are just certain conversations you can have with, especially with a guy that you spend that much time with, and living in the times we do now, Having a black person, black person who is over your group and is in charge of you, basically, and that being able to trust that person with your kid, that matters. Because if that didn't happen, what Ohio State did with some of these videos over the summer and what other schools were doing, some of that stuff's probably not as important on, on the top of the docket if there aren't African-Americans in some of these spaces. It feels like to me that, that, I mean, if you look at it, if you try to relate to it as an Ohio State fan, Jim Harbaugh's whole staff right now is Brian Hartline and Al Washington, right? It's like these... Yeah. These guys in their 30s who are dynamic guys. And I do think it is an interesting thing that's going on here because one of the hires they made is a guy named uh, – I want to make sure I get it right. I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on all these guys. So the new defensive coordinator replacing Don Brown is a guy named Mike McDonald, who's only 33 years old. He comes from the Baltimore Ravens. So it's like, hey, his brother says, hey, I got this really good young linebackers coach. I think he might – he's an up-and-coming guy. He becomes Michigan's defensive coordinator. When you read about this guy, they say, this guy has no experience recruiting in college, okay? So he's going to come in and scheme it up. And then what you do, they hired a guy named Maurice Linguist, who was a, had a year in the NFL, but he was at Minnesota. He recruited Rashad Bateman to Minnesota. He was at Texas A&M. He's known as a great recruiter. You add him to the defensive coaching staff. George Helo or Hello, I apologize. These guys are new. H-E-L-O-W. Another guy with, with long-time college experience. Ron Bellamy, mentioned by Steven. High school coach, former Michigan player, high school coach at West Bloomfield. There are three West Bloomfield players on Michigan's roster right now. And Donovan Edwards, who just tore up the state championship game under Ron Bellamy, is their big-time running back recruit as a freshman. You hire him, and then you bring in Mike Hart, who was a future Michigan head coach. He is 34 years old. He was a big-time running back at Michigan. Everybody listening to this knows his name. I can't believe it took him this long to get to Michigan. He's been Indiana's running backs coach for four years. I'm not so sure why Jim Harbaugh didn't hire Mike Hart the minute he got hired, frankly. bring it. He could have brought him in when he was 28. He's Mike Hart. Oh, who's coaching your running backs? like the best running back that, Ohio, that Michigan's had in 20 years, a dynamic young star on the rise. So the idea that it took this long to get Mike Hart, Mike Hart is their Brian Hartline. He's an alum. He's young. He's done it. He's going to go out and sell it. I think they need him to, but I think he will. I think Mike Hart's going to tear it up in recruiting. Ron Bellamy is their Kerry Combs. Now, Kerry Combs had a stop at the University of Cincinnati first, but Kerry Combs made his bones as an incredibly successful 
high school coach in Ohio. So the idea of some people, we had a couple texters ask, is this a little hinky? You know, you hire the high school coach of this big time recruit. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Chris Partridge was a high school coach in New Jersey at the school where Jabril Peppers went and he got hired at Michigan. And then he's gone on. He's at, he's at Ole Miss now. Like he's, it happens all the time. So I don't, it's not, it's not like it wasn't a promise. I don't think, but it's like, you get to know these guys when you recruit, you get to know good coaches. Ron Bellamy is your Kerry Combs. And then this Mike McDonald guy comes in from the NFL as your defensive coordinator. He's your Jeff Halfley. So it's not that easy, but you can see what, Harbaugh is doing. And Nathan, when I first texted it out and when I just looked at it at a glance, I thought it seemed like the ship's going down. The guy probably should have been fired, but he wasn't. So you said, well, change everything else instead. It felt initially like a last desperate gasp to me. And then when I started looking at it, and here's who they got rid of. Don Brown, who it wasn't working anymore. Ed Warner the former Ohio State offensive line coach, who was a great offensive line coach. But, and if Ed, if you're listening and Ed gets mad at me, when I say that he doesn't recruit great, he gets mad at me and DMs me stories. Ed, why aren't you there anymore? I don't know. I think you are a great offensive line coach, Ed Warner, and you don't have a job at Michigan anymore. So if when I, next time I write that you're a great offensive line coach with maybe some suspect recruiting, Go ask Jim Harbaugh if I'm right or not, Ed. Mike Zordich, their cornerbacks coach, had been around the Big Ten forever. Bob Shoup had been around forever, safeties coach. And then Ben McDaniels, their quarterbacks coach, was only 40 years old. He was the one younger guy who got let go. It is a total revamping. Nathan, I don't think it's desperate. Nathan, I think it might be smart. Yeah, and I think it's um, – trigger warning, I'm going to mention Purdue here from from when I did this in the past. That's where actually I, I talked to Ron Bellamy a few times back then because he's got – West Bloomfield has players all over the Big Ten. It's not just Michigan that they've been going to. Um, but when Purdue fired Daryl Hazel, or going into that season, it was clear that it was failing. But they couldn't fire him for a number of reasons. So you fired the two coordinators. But what's the problem if that leaves you? Everyone knows you've got a lame duck head coach, and now you've got to go find – two good coordinators to replace those spots because everyone knows it's a transparent cosmetic change that you're making essentially it's 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 a last gasp before the whole thing fails so I think Michigan actually did a pretty good job under the circumstances that we laid out in the first half of this podcast I think they went out and got some intriguing guys to come on for what is not guaranteed to be more than a one-year shot right so you've got Ron Ron Bellamy's leaving a pretty secure thing to come up and, and start his college coaching career Mike Hart's leaving a good situation at Indiana yes it's Michigan but you don't know what the next guy is going to do when he comes in and you might, you might end up clearing. So I think they did a pretty good job restocking this. And as we were saying before, I think it's, it's targeted to go younger, to go more Michigan, to go more Michigan guys, like multiple guys that they hired have where Ron Bellamy played in Michigan too. I mean, so all of that, I think was, was a very, uh, there was some strategy here. This doesn't seem as, as scattershot as sometimes it does when you're looking at situations like this from the outside. What do you think, Stephen? Are you viewing it as more smart and strategic or a desperate last gasp? I think smart and strategic, but I'm also thinking about what if Jim Harbaugh is not what they need anymore after a year and they've come to that decision, but they feel like at least some of these pieces can stay in place no matter who the next head coach is. And that's part of the reason you go younger is, you know, I think 
especially with guys like with what you were just talking about with Mike Hart, Josh Gattis is still a, a solid offensive mind. Uh, Bellamy has that connection with Michigan. And so that's a state that whoever you brought in next could just look at him and go, with him, we can lock the state down. At very worst, especially with where Michigan State is right now, we can lock down our state and make sure that Michigan State does, can just get the scraps of that. So I think that's part of it as well. Now it's hard. I mean, every new coach wants to bring in his, his, yeah. his guys. But also, there often is. There often are a couple holdovers, right? I mean, Luke Fickle and Mike Rabel stayed uh, with Urban Meyer. Um, that, that often happens. So, yes, I think your point is right. But sometimes, and I think Harbaugh was doing this for a while, he had a bunch of guys that he sort of had been with him along the way that came. And I, I, it never felt like a great fit. It felt like a lot of it at the beginning, even when they were kind of winning and doing okay, it was a little scatter shot. This feels like more – this is not like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. This is like patching the hole. It's like, okay, well – we're going to like dive down in the, under the cold water and we're going to, we're going to find where the iceberg hit us and we're going to patch the hole in the boat. We're not just going to do it and just hire. Okay. Well, we hi, you know, we got rid of Don Brown and we hired some random 57 year old guy who had been, you know, whatever the defensive coordinator at Colorado state or whatever. Right. Like they're, he's trying something totally new. And if Mike McDonald, is a young up and comer as a defensive coordinator. That's exactly the kind of guy they should be trying to take a risk on. Right. And if, if Mike Hart and Ron Bellaby and Maurice Linguist are up and comers in the profession and they're going to relate to kids and get out and, and recruit in a different way. That's exact. This Nathan, to me, it feels like a fundamental shift in how Michigan does business. Because when you have a 57 year old head coach, and then you have a 45-year-old assistant and everybody else is 39 or younger. That is a fundamental shift. He got rid of all his old cronies. Yeah, and I like, feel like in his case, maybe just with his personality, you almost had to to, um, to err on the side set. of going even younger, right? Because I feel like he's thought of as like, you know, khakis and uh, older than 57 in some ways. So um, I, what I'm intrigued to see going forward too, this is maybe going off on a different little tangent, but one of the critiques of the Harbaugh era has been from a recruiting standpoint, who are they going after? Where are they prioritizing? It's been a lot of East Coast stuff. Um, you mentioned New Jersey, but it's been kind of more even more regional than that, it seems like. And I'm curious where this new staff takes things you're going to get guys with different backgrounds guys who've been recruiting different parts of the country potentially and does this push them and do they challenge ohio state more or try to do they care more about locking down their state you know than than letting some guys trickle out than they have i think steven's right i think too it's, it's interesting that this is this changeover is happening at the same time that mel tucker's coming on to michigan state and trying to get something going there and and having a new battle and how is some of this maybe answering that, that you've got new blood at Michigan State and the impact that they're making already. So you know this, and, and Stephen, you know this from talking to guys. I mean, the relationships are so huge, and I can just see I – mean, when we talk about Brian Hartline, it's like, why is Brian Hartline doing this with the receiver recruiting at Ohio State? Yes, it's an offense guys want to come play in. Yes, the success of Ohio State builds on that. But it is at least partly about Brian Hartline. 
right? He is yeah. doing something in relating to these players and their families. And I don't think Michigan had that. I think a lot of the times, even when we do the, the, the recruiting rankings of Michigan, a lot of times they, they are the, the kind of guys they get that allow them to have the eighth best class in the country. I feel like they get the guys that come just because they're Michigan, because it's like, it might be the guys who their offers were Michigan, Illinois, um, Indiana, Rutgers. And it's like, well, Michigan's the best offer and they're good. It's the 283rd ranked guy. They're good. But I don't know, Steven, that it's like once Michigan going head to head and winning a, a kid against Clemson or beating Alabama or beating Ohio state, when's the last time Michigan beat Ohio state for a kid. But if you start getting some of these guys who will relate to these kids, and if Ron Bellamy and Mike Hart and Maurice Linguist and, and some of the holdovers, Sharon Moore and Jay Harbaugh and Josh Gaddis, if they're relating to kids the way Kerry Combs and Larry Johnson and Brian Hartline and Al Washington relate to kids, I don't know, Stephen, that Michigan has been in that realm very much, and that's what feels like can really change here to me. And that's the key here. You brought it up even when you're talking about Ohio State. Even in 2019 when Michigan had a higher-ranked class in Ohio State – Ohio State had three top 100 players, and Ohio State had four. And all, the, all four of those guys have roles now. While with Michigan, outside of Daxton Hill, you haven't really heard anything from the guys from that 2019 recruiting class. And so I do think, to piggyback back on the Mike Hart, that seems like a guy you can send anywhere. It doesn't have to be, oh, you're going to help us lock down Michigan, or you're going to take us to, to, to New Jersey or on the East Coast. They can send Mike Hart out to California, and people are going to know who Mike Hart is from his days playing for Michigan and in those Ohio State battles. They're going to know that. And so he can – he is – with Brian Hartline has – obviously every assistant coach has a region, but I just feel like Ohio State does that with Brian Hartline, which is why the wide receivers are kind of coming from all over the place. They can send him to Texas or Washington or Pennsylvania for that matter – and it doesn't matter if he's going to be able to pull somebody out because he's Brian Hartline. So I do think the classes are solid, but they're not necessarily uber talented. There's not guys where at their sophomore year you're going, okay, it's time for you to get going here. While with Ohio State, even with that blip of a class, there were some guys in it where in year two you thought they might take off. And for the most part, they did. And I don't see that with Michigan. So it's not only recruiting, right? You got to develop, you got to have the other stuff too. But I just. I just think it's a chance that this is something. Well, you know what? We'll wrap it up right after this on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means back on Buckeye Talk. Texters, if you want to try it, 614-350-3315. Nathan, I think this might be the offseason that changes Michigan football. Like, I, like I, here's the thing. Very likely, maybe not. Okay? Like, I get it. Maybe not. Maybe. Harbaugh's fired in two years and it didn't really work. But if there would ever be like that, when Michigan got it back, other than changing head coach, it's like, what do you do? I mean, like usually it does take a head coach change. Oh, it's when they hired Matt Campbell or whatever. Right. This feels to me almost like that because this has to be, if you're now, here's the other thing too. Harbaugh's got to be invested in this. And there's a part about Harbaugh I want to talk about before we get out of here. But if he's truly invested in the change, if he's as invested as by appearances, it seems like he is, this is almost like getting a new head coach because you've changed. It's like, oh, what's Jim Harbaugh? Uh, he's kind of this weird old white guy who hires a bunch of old white guys to like be okay. And it's like, oh, what'd you get now? Well, we got this, we got this kind of like interesting veteran coach who brought in this young dynamic staff of guys in their 30s to go out and kill it on the recruiting trail. And it's like, oh, you got a new head coach? Like, nope. 
same guy, just completely changed how he structures his program. I think there's a chance of that. Not a guarantee, but do you, do you know what I'm saying? Could there be a chance of that? Yeah, I think there is. And again, I think it, it's what's interesting, though, is it's not going to probably happen overnight, right? So then how, how – if, if they go – nine and three this coming season and still lose to Ohio state. And then maybe they go and they even still lose their bowl game or something, or they go 10 and three or whatever. Like, does that, is that a, is that seen as still only like hanging out at this, this un, um, unsatisfying plateau, or is that seen as the step towards where they want to be in two years? Uh, I, I look at it potentially as being that, but again, that's I, I'm not tied into it emotionally the way people in Michigan are. So, what what is what is the what is the expectation for the immediate future? And then where where do you feel like that's taking you? And I feel like I, I, the scorecard really that matters more because right, the impact is not going to be felt on the field. It's the recruiting scorecard, Stephen. I almost feel like we're going to have to track now the Ohio State Michigan head to head battles. I think we can even actually start writing about Michigan recruiting. You know, that it's like, wh where are they going? Because, Stephen, if they do all this and they aren't targeting a different kind of kid, if they aren't going out and really going after top 50 kids in a much more expansive, aggressive way, then it was all for naught. But if they are, wait, just for real. Like, when they get that first guy, and J.J. McCarthy, we get it. But even J.J. McCarthy wanted to come to Ohio State and, like, went to Michigan mm -hmm. because Ryan Day took Kyle McCord. That's what we're looking for, right, Stephen? The first time that Michigan wins a huge battle against the big guys for a kid that everybody wanted, and it was what Mike Hart or Ron Bellamy or somebody like that reeled them in. That's where we're going to see the first scorecard. And then, Nathan, they might have to wait. You might have to wait two years, right, for the on-field production. But that's what we're watching, right, Stephen? This is a line in the sand 100%. And I think while Ohio State has – found a way to be ahead of the curve in every recruiting club. I think I do think that by signing day next year, I should have a story on our site that says, meet this kid, the guy Ohio State wanted but couldn't get because Michigan got him. And maybe that comes in the linebacker room because I'm just looking at it going through it real quickly here. I mean, Sean Murphy's the one who pops out the most as the five-star linebacker that Ohio State's trying to add as their fourth guy. But if they get Rajon Davis – Let's see what Michigan does here. Can they flip some momentum here and maybe get that kid? Now, that's asking a lot. That's the number one linebacker in the country. But, yeah, the, the offer seems similar, but the interest is what matters the most here. It's not, oh, we both offered Quinn Ewers. It's, oh, we both were basically what it came down to to land Quinn Ewers. And let's, let's cover one last thing here. I'm fascinated by it. I hope I – hope... I hope Buckeye Tark listeners aren't like sitting here and at the end of this podcast like, why are we talking so much about this? If this is a line in the sand for Michigan, if this is the first day of the new Michigan, I mean, like that is huge. And if well, it's I mean, not, we can run it back and say how dumb we were. Like there's already been a couple, like what if, what if Michigan had been able to get Zach Harrison two years ago? What if, what there if, yeah. what if Maurice Linguist had locked it down? Because listen, by the way, they had a Washington who almost, got Zach Harrison, and then they lost out Washington to Ohio State, right? So now you've hired some more. Al Washington is a dynamic recruiter, right? Like that's one of those things. So that's a great point. Now that was a tough pull. That's Columbus suburbs. Exactly, yeah. But maybe if you're not, maybe if you're not Columbus suburbs, right? Next time the kid's in Cleveland or Detroit or whatever. Um, Have one. 
All right. But I'm just saying, like, even, uh, if, you just, even if you them. just pull that one, just, just, I mean, that it changes what we think of Ohio State this fall if Zach Harrison's not there, I think. I mean, I know you've got, I know you got Jack Sawyer coming in, but, but you look at Zach Harrison as being like, maybe he's a first team all Big Ten guy next year. And now he's just all of a sudden not on your roster and he's at your rival. It starts to change things. You don't have to, you don't have to beat Ohio State all the way in the recruiting rankings, if you can just get that one. It's, we've talked about this with Penn State before too, right? If Ohio State is just pulling the one kid out of Pennsylvania every year, but it's a crucial kid that keeps them at arm's length. Brennan Vernon is the number nine player in the country, number three strong side defensive end. Um, in the 247 sports player rankings, there's no composite rankings for the 2023 recruiting class right now. He has crystal balls to Ohio State, but they have existed for a few months now and he hasn't pulled the trigger. That fits all of that. That's a Zach Harrison who's also not 15 minutes away. He's two and a half hours away. And in a world of Ohio State can go, you can just be the next of many. Michigan can go, listen, you can just be our guy from day one. You're a five-star kid who you take a year and you learn everything. And then by year two, you're off and running. And you can be our Chase Young. Yep. And a lot of kids right now, I mean, it's hard to get those kids over the top, right? That Michigan, I think, is in on guys. But then in the end, it's like, well, really? You're going to go to Michigan instead of Ohio State? But if you have a little bit of that personal connection, a little more pull on the personal connection, and then you get one or two, and all of a sudden it makes it easier for the guy number three and number four. Last thing and here is in the – Ohio State. Go ahead. That hurts Ohio State because as great as Larry Johnson has been as a recruiter right now, there's also been a lucky trend of every two years – there's a five-star defensive end in Ohio. Zach Harrison in 2019, Jack Sawyer in 2021, and now Vernon in 2023, which means he doesn't really just go up 71 and go get the kid. If you kind of cut that line off at the end there, a trend that's, that should be easy to keep that defensive line room open, I, I, that hurts. That's a, that's a serious burn for Ohio State. And listen, it's one of those things where it, 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 they don't, they can still lose battles to Ohio State and still do better than they've been doing now, right? They can lay, raise their level and, you know, it, they, they've got some ground to make up to win head-to-head -head battles for Ohio State. But that's a great name for people to keep, keep on the brain about this. The one other thing, and it's not as important, again, we don't cover Michigan. In the reshuffle of assignments, they don't have a quarterback's coach anymore. Jim Harbaugh is now Michigan's quarterback's coach. Because one of the things is Josh Gaddis is the offensive coordinator. He's still also the receivers coach, but Ron Bellamy also is the receivers coach. So they have kind of two receivers coaches, which is a, an indication of like Ron Bellamy is going to recruit. He's a high school coach. He doesn't have to come in and be an expert on wide receiver intricacies. He's going to recruit, 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 but also Josh Gaddis is the offensive coordinator, so that frees it up. Josh Gaddis can do a little more scheme stuff. Ron Bellamy, they can share receivers and then do their things, scheme and recruit. Corey Dennis is Ohio State's quarterback's coach. We act Well, Ryan Day is really the quarterback's coach. Lincoln Riley, I think we talked about this at the time of, is there a world where Ryan Day just doesn't have a quarterback's coach? That you use that spot and go somewhere else and you just say, the head coach, who is a quarterback's expert, is the quarterback's coach. Nathan, what do you think of it that Jim Harbaugh – listen, guess who's going to be – Steven, who's going to be meeting with J.J. McCarthy now? Not this – what's his name? Yeah. The guy that – the 40-year-old, Ben McDonaldson. What's his name? I don't know. I can't. Jim McDaniels. Ben McDaniels. That's not who J.J. McCarthy is going to be meeting with. He's going to be meeting with Jim Harbaugh. What do you think about that, Nathan? Not 
real excited about it. It makes sense in, in the way that you explain it when you start breaking down where it means that they put other guys because you have a limited number of guys. You can't just hire a staff of 30 people if you want to. Um, but as we talked a little bit about, you know, Ryan Day, I think, wants to over time maybe turn more of those things over to someone else and, and be more of a head coach. Or we, we, we might think that that might be the best thing for him. Maybe we shouldn't say that he wants it. And, uh, but at the same time, I guess maybe Harbaugh has been a veteran coach. He's done this as long as he has. Maybe he's better in position to, to balance that. We'll see. I have some skepticism about it. Um, and I think especially when you've got a five-star coming in, a guy who can just be dedicated to help, to helping him develop at all times without the other things that a head coach has to do might have been the way to go. But it's all about the balance of the staff. So Lincoln Riley is also – yeah, he's actually listed as head coach and quarterbacks coach on Oklahoma's yep. website. Now that I've seen that and now Jim Harbaugh is doing that, I'm now shocked that Ryan Day didn't do that. I mean, because let's just be honest here. Quarter, five-star quarterbacks are coming here to play for Ryan Day. They're coming here to learn for right. Ryan Day. And from here to the end of time – well, at least for the next couple of years here, I think we're going to see a similar thing that we saw this year, even in a normal world where – if you're the starting quarterback, there's going to be some a lot of time you're going to spend with Ryan Day, right? Corey Dennis is just developing the guys behind you in the room. And so, yeah. Go but ahead. Josh Caddis calls plays, right? He does. He does. That's so the I think, call yeah. Plays. Yeah, and the, you're right. So in that, in that situation, I think Lincoln Riley does both calls plays and work with the quarterback. Uh, Ryan Day chose one and, and uh, Jim Harbaugh chose one. I think but still, there is a part of me that's shocked that he's not both the head coach and just a quarterback's coach. Because, I mean, for, like we just said, he's practically the quarterback's coach anyway. I mean, some people, when I was freaking out about hiring Corey Dennis, that was so, some people were like, listen, man, I mean, like Lincoln Riley doesn't have anybody. Like, you're going to freak yeah. out because the quarterback's coach is 28. I mean, it's Ryan Day's the quarterback's coach. Chill out. So that is a point of it. But that's a little bit. So I like all the other stuff. That's one of those to me is like, that's a little bit of like, if the ship's going to go down, we're going to go down with me driving the boat because I'm a quarterback. I played quarterback at Michigan and mm -hmm. I'm going to coach the five-star and that well, I like, I think everything else feels like it could really work. This is interesting. This is a little more of a risk kind of Nathan. Well, yeah. And I think, again, we're talking about what have been the criticisms of Harbaugh in his tenure. One of the primary ones has been just a lack of developing quarterbacks, lack of recruiting good ones and then developing them, developing them to meet that standard. And I think he probably was well aware of that criticism and, why would you want a middleman in the in the middle of that anymore? Maybe you're just saying, "Hey, I'm going to fix it." If it's if it's if I'm if this is what I'm going to be criticized for, I was a quarterback in the NFL. I kind of know what I'm doing. I'm going to do it. I, I, that that part of it makes sense to me. Now, whether it's the right distribution of manpower, we'll see. It would and really I, suck if the media there can't watch a practice now because I think people need to know exactly how practice is going to operate. If he's also the quarterback's coach, he can't be walking around then trying to be Mr. CEO. You have to stay with JJ McCarthy and the other people in the room. So I, it, that makes it, see, that's what made it interesting is watching a practice and seeing exactly where, what Harbaugh is doing for the entire time. And it is one of those. I think like if now Josh Gaddis has been there a couple of years, you have more faith in Gaddis. So if you're sort of handing over the offense, so you can only focus on the quarterbacks. You, you, know, you, you wouldn't do that to a first-year OC, but he's like on year three or four now. So I do think maybe it's some growth there. I don't know. It could also work great. I can still remember right when Harbaugh got here, it was something I think RG3, I think, and somebody else like came to Michigan to like work with Jim Harbaugh. And it's like, man, this guy is going to have a quarterback factory at Michigan, and it hasn't happened. So now he has the highest-rated recruit he's ever had here at quarterback – 
and he's going hands-on. So I kind of get it too. I don't know. I don't know if people want to hear this or not. This has got a shot, I think. There's some risk here. But if you were going to bring Jim Harbaugh back, this to me is the best version of Jim Harbaugh stays that they could have done, Nathan. Is that kind of where you are? That's exactly kind of how I'm wrapping it up. That like, If you were going to go forward with him and you had to make changes, then this is the way to do it, I think. If you just brought in a bunch of other um, 50-something-year-old guys, um, retreads, I don't know where that gets you. It feels like just – or if you'd kept that staff. Uh, but we knew that staff wasn't going to be kept. We knew that there were definitely going to be changes there, whether it was a defensive coordinator or, or some of the other changes. So it, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't just – tread water you had to make some changes and i i i agree that if it, this is the way to at least give it a shot will it work 100 percent? i don't know but uh, i it, it, it this was the best shot to take i am mr assistant coaches don't matter but it's it's more about the philosophy right that that that's that's what is the shift here it's like again just like one assistant in one assistant out i mean i don't know how much that matters but this is way more than that and i think the direction they're headed Makes a lot of sense. Man, again, I don't know. It just seems interesting to me. If Michigan really ever challenges Ohio State in a serious way, that's really interesting for the Big Ten. Ohio State fans are happy to beat them every year. But I think this is the best chance Michigan has. All right, that's our Michigan pod. We dove in hard on that. Uh, We're going to come either on the Friday or Saturday pod. We will get into the defensive assistance for Ohio State. It's like we're doing a lot of assistant coaches stuff this week. We did the Ohio State offensive assistance assistance early in the week on the Tuesday pod. Michigan assistance here on the Thursday pod. Either Friday or Saturday, we'll get to Kerry Combs, Matt Barnes, Al Washington, Larry Johnson, and the assistant to be named on that Ohio State staff. So make sure you stick around for that. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop us a review at Apple Podcasts. Try the text, 614-350-3315. Stephen is starting his Michigan recruiting tracker right as this podcast ends. Going to start uh, start in on that. The Ohio State-Michigan battles ahead will be interesting to follow. Thanks to you guys for being part of it. For Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>